Well, good morning, Gateway family. It's great to see you this morning. Find Psalm number 90. Psalm 90 in your copy of God's Word on your Bible app there. We're in the middle of several weeks of the Lament Psalms. Remember, we're taking the Psalms and groupings to help us see themes in them and understand what God wants us to see in this amazing book of the Bible. The Lament Psalms are the Psalms of sorrow, dealing with a response to the sadness and the brokenness of life in a fallen world. We saw two weeks ago Psalm 42, a lament psalm about spiritual dryness. And what do we do when, our, when we feel dry and spiritually depressed and far from the Lord and how God uses that? Then last week we saw from Psalm 73, lament and sadness when life doesn't make sense, when there seems to be injustice that we can't explain from a human perspective. And we saw how we run to the Lord in that. We come today to Psalm number 90. And Psalm number 90 is a lament psalm, a psalm of sorrow, dealing with two huge problems that every person on earth will face. There's two huge problems. And what are our greatest problems? Because when we think about problems and life, we often run to things like finances or broken relationships or all these struggles we face. But Psalm 90 takes us back to life's two really greatest problems, our mortality and our morality. Our mortality, that we're mortals, that life is short, life is fleeting, and every single one of us will die. We all face the problem of our mortality. I've heard over the years people say how quick life goes. And the older I get, the more I see that. I find myself saying that more and more now as well. We are mortals. Life is fleeting. Life goes by fast. It's a problem that no matter how hard we try, we can't fix and we can't change. We will all die. But our second great problem is not just our mortality. It's our morality, our morals, how we live, how we conform to God's standards. And the problem is we don't. No one does. We all deal with immorality, our failure to live up to God's standards, the presence of sin in our lives. And these two great problems of our mortality and our morality are problems that we don't often like to think about. These aren't the things you turn on the radio and be like, oh, yay, there's a song about me dying coming on now. This isn't what we're drawn to. It's not what we think about. It's not what we talk about much. We're drawn to things that make us feel good. But the beauty of the Psalms is that it's honest with the human experience, the things that are easy and good and the things that are hard and tough. And Psalm 90 is one of these harder psalms, these tougher psalms, that makes us be honest about this part of our human experience, our mortality and our immorality, these things that we don't normally like to think about and talk about. So in one sense, Psalm 90 is not a fun psalm. It's not one that you typically have I've ever seen framed and hanging over someone's sofa in a living room at home. It's not the one we paint a beautiful picture and stick as a highlighted thing in a kid's Bible. But though it may not be a fun psalm, it's a psalm that's oh so very good for us. Because we need to take a look at our mortality and how fleeting life can be. We need to take a look at our morality and our failure to live up to God's standards. Friends, but why? Why would God in his infinite goodness give us a psalm that presses us hard on things that don't make us feel good? Why would God in his great, great love for us give us a psalm to make us come face to face with things that we don't like to think about? Why would God in his goodness remind us that our lives will disappear soon? In a hundred years that will be dust. That we have sins that no one sees, but he is gazing upon and he will judge. So as we read Psalm 90 this morning, look for that question. Why does God remind us of these truths of our mortality and our immorality? What is God doing in reminding us of these things? So we come to Psalm 90 to ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. I'll be reading out the English Standard Version, and words will also be on the screen. Psalm number 90, starting in verse 1. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, 
Wherever you have formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grasses renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So, teach us to number our days. We may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have, been, as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the counsel of your word. Father, what a treasure we have that we get to open this book and see your very words to us, your revelation to us. Lord, I pray we would not take lightly what you have given us and given us your inspired and errant word. Lord, even as we come to a text today that is one that's harder, that is, makes us come face to face with our own weakness, our own sinfulness, God, I pray you bring great good out of it. We thank you for your word. We thank you for those verses that give us such hope and encouragement, those verses that convict us. And God, we pray this day your Holy Spirit will do what only he can do in breathing life into your word that we might understand and apply his teaching to each of our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we come to Psalm 90, we're coming to a psalm of Moses. Yes, this is the psalm of Moses, same Moses you read about in the Old Testament in Exodus, the one who God appears to and speaks, the one who God sends to go talk to Pharaoh, the one who God uses to lead people on the Exodus. That very same Moses is the one who is recording this psalm, this prayer here. And Moses is pushing us to come face to face with our frailty, and to come face to face with our sinfulness. Let's start with the two problems that he outlines for us here. The first of all, the problem of our mortality, the problem that life is short and fleeting. And what we just read in Psalm 90, it describes our lives in terms of things like dust and grass and floods. What in the world is he saying? Remember, Psalms are poems. So there's poetry, there are images for us. And all these are images that we will face death. They're images to remind us how short our lives really are. Look at verse 3. Here's the first image he shows us. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. He's taking us all the way back to Genesis 3 when God gives the curse and he tells man that to dust you will return. That because of sin entering the world and because of sin in the life, God will judge it. And now we won't live forever in these mortal bodies. We will face death now because of sin and we will return to dust. Our lives are fragile. But not just that we'll return to dust. He has another image, verse 5. It says, you sweep them away is with a flood. Literally, he says, you are going to be flooded away. Friends, unfortunately, after watching the news this week, I think this image is more vivid to us than perhaps before. 
We've seen the image of the destruction of Dorian and the hurricane coming through the Bahamas, and only people being swept away in the water. That's the image that's being conveyed here for the frailty of life, that we will all be swept away. Every single one of us will be swept away by death. There's no way for us to escape facing the flood of death. That's not the only image. Also in verse 5, you sweep them away like as with a flood. They are like a dream. Moses keeps pushing here, saying, okay, your life not only will end one day, not only will you return to dust, not only will you be swept away, but furthermore, it's like a dream. Your life is so short, it'll be here now, gone before you know it. It'll be forgotten before long. It is like a dream. Then he pushes even harder, and he carries on in verse 5 to describe our lives like grass that is renewed in the morning. He carries on with the image in verse 6. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. He's saying, yes, you may grow up and live for a while, but you will get parched and one day die. And this is a very vivid image for the people at the time because you have these lush green areas and the Palestinian areas from the winter. But when the summer heat and the summer sun scorches it, what was green one day and green one morning by the end of the day is now dead in the heat. And so the image of the transience of life, how quickly life can fade. All these things of dust and flood and dream and grass are all poetic images to remind us we are mortals. We are frail. We are weak. And before long, all of our lives will be over. But it gets even more personal, lest we think this is some generic human problem. It affects us. Go to verse 10. Moses says here, the years of our life, it's now very personal, the years of my life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. 70, 80 is just a poetic image here to describe a full life. He's not saying this is the normal life for everyone. He's saying this is just an image of a full life. That even in the scope of a full life of 70 or 80 years, those are 70 or 80 years that are hard. Look at the middle part of verse 10. Their span is but toil and trouble. And in the midst of those hard years before long, they're gone and we will fly away. Another image for death. Moses is pushing us with image after image of how short our lives really are and how in the midst of that short lives, they're not going to be easy. They're going to be hard. And we've seen that over and over in our study, the Psalms and all of Scripture, that God never promised us that life will be easy. I say it a lot, but God's goal for us is not to get us from birth to death in the safest, easiest, happiest, most comfortable way possible. That's a lie that has been propagated so much through our culture. That's not the testimony of Scripture. The testimony of Scripture is life will be hard. We live in a cursed in fallen world. You can look at verse 10. Their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. We all have to come face to face with the problem of our mortality. And the reality, friends, is there's nothing you or I can do to fix it, is there? There's no treatment we can take that'll let us live to 120. There's no place we can move to that'll cause our lives to be prolonged forever. There's no place we can move to that'll free us from toil and problems in life. There's no strategy we can embrace that'll give us a pain-free life. We must face the problem of our mortality. There's another problem we face here that Moses reminds us of, and that's the problem of our morality, or perhaps I should say our immorality, our failure to live up to God's standards. Scripture is very clear, not just here but in other places. In Romans chapter 3, 23, I think you probably know this one really well. For how many have sinned? All. Every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Or in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, we're reminded, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The reality of the entire human experience, even the nicest person you know, is that we are all full of sin. We are all full of immorality. We all have offended God. And Psalm 90 brings that back to the forefront of our thinking. Go back to Psalm 90, verse 8. Look at what Moses says, and notice how personal this is here. 
You, God, have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. In God's sight, every sin I've committed, every sin you've committed is on full display before God. He says, even the secret sins, the sins of our thoughts, the sins of our heart attitudes, the sins that no one on earth may ever know about, God sees and God puts on display before him. You have set our iniquities, our sins before you. Our secret sins are now in the light of his presence. And friends, unless we think that's terrifying, it's even more so when we realize who it is who's exposing them. This is a holy, perfect God. And one of the attributes, the characteristics of God that we don't think about enough is the justice of God. The God is just, he's holy, therefore he must and he will punish every sin. If God fails to punish sin, he ceases to be holy. The holiness of God requires him to be a just God. And that's what Moses takes our attention back to. He bookends this thing about our iniquities being set before God with verses 7 and 9 that are so sobering. Look back at verse 7 just before that. Moses says, For we are brought to an end by your what? Your anger. By your what? Wrath. Are we dismayed? Again, friends, our culture is obsessed with the love of God, and we need to think about the love of God because God is a God of love. But God is also a God who is holy and just and a God who has anger. Now, not sinful anger like we typically exercise in our relationships, but a righteous anger because his perfect holy standards have been broken, and he feels anger when his standards are broken. He has a holy good wrath, and his holiness is required to punish sin. And when Moses and any of us realize the justice and anger and wrath of God, he says, we're brought to an end. We're we're literally, it means we're consumed. And he says, we are dismayed. It means we have no hope. The word dismayed is normally used in the Hebrew language to describe a city or an army when another army is invading it. And the people see, as we would say, the writing on the wall. And there's no hope. And they look at the enemies coming and they know there's nothing they can do to stop the enemy. They become dismayed. That's the image that he's conveying for us here. That because a holy God sees all of our sin, all of our iniquities, we are dismayed. We have no hope. That's why I love how the author of Hebrews explains in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 30 and 31. In Hebrews chapter 10, I think we'll have it on the screen for you again. For we know him who said, now again, this is written to believers here, for we, followers of Christ, know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. When's the last time you heard that on a K-Love song, right? And again, the Lord will judge his people. In verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Friends, we don't stop and think much about this aspect of God's character. We put him out of balance. Yes, God is love, but God is also a God of justice and has anger towards sin and wrath towards sin. And is a fearful thing to fall into his hands. And friends, we don't like to think about that very often. Look at how Moses forces us to go back to it. Look at verse number 11 here. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Who considers this? He's saying... The answer is implied. No one does. In our flesh, we don't like to sit around at night and think about these things. We don't go get a cup of coffee with a friend typically and be like, hey, I want to meet you down at a coffee shop. Let's go talk about the wrath of God for a few hours today. This is not what we stop and normally ponder. And so both saying, who thinks about these things? We normally don't, but there's a danger if we don't. And so Moses is painting for us a picture here for us of our problem, our mortality. Life is frail. Life is short. It could end any time. And before it ends, it's going to be hard. And he paints a picture of our our morality, that we have all sinned. We've all offended a holy God, and our sins must be punished. And the reality is on these things. We are guilty, and we are helpless, and we can't do a thing about it in our own strength. 
So friends, but why? Because he didn't give it to us just to break us and be, leave us a point of despair. This is not think for the end of the message. Be like, okay, go think about it. Have a good week now, everyone. Why did God in his infinite goodness push before us these hard, painful truths that your life is short and fleeting and hard and you're full of sin and will be judged? Why would God push this truth before us? And here's what I want you to see. Here's the main idea, I believe, of Psalm 94 saying it's simply this. The reality of our frailty and our sin should lead us to greater dependence upon God. The reality of this, the reality that I am frail, that my life is short, that my life will have toil in these short days, that my life will vanish soon like dust, like a dream, like grass, the reality of my sinfulness, that God has holy anger towards all sin, that every sin will be exposed. Our attitude of this reality check should be something that leads us to greater dependence upon God. These hard truths that aren't fun are good for us because they drive us to the Lord. They drive us to look for rescue when we cannot rescue ourselves. These truths about our frailty and our sin, these truths about our mortality and our immorality should break the lie of self-dependence in our life. They should break the lie that I can live however I want to live and it doesn't really matter. It should break the lie that I'm self-sufficient, I can overcome on my own. It should break the lie that I am okay. These truths should lead us to not run to ourselves, but should lead us to run to God in dependence on Him. Because we know that God can solve these problems we can't solve. How about the problem of our mortality, that life is short? Well, think back two years ago, if you're here two years ago, to to our study of the Gospel of John that year. John chapter 3 How does God solve our problem of our mortality? Well, John chapter 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, must Jesus be lifted up. When Jesus dies, what's happening? Verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have what? Eternal life. There's a problem of our mortality that we will die and we're facing judgment. But because Christ came and died on the cross, and when we believe in him, all of our sins got put on him, we now have the offer of eternal life. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We can't solve the problem of our mortality, but God can. And God offers us eternal life in his presence forever for all who believe in Christ. But to solve the problem of our mortality, God has to solve the problem of our immorality also. Because it's our mortality that separates us from him. It's our sinful, it's our immorality that separates us from him, our sinfulness that keeps us from him. And so God solves the problem of our immorality as well. He does so in Christ forgiving us. Drew read at the beginning of the service today in our call to worship Psalm 130, and I want you to see a few verses out of it. We're going to come to this one and spend a whole sermon on this in about four weeks, but until then, Psalm 130, verse 3. Think of what the psalmist says here. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? What a great question. If God in his holiness, who has anger towards sin and will judge every sin, if he should count those against us, we have no hope. We will despair, be dismayed, like Moses talked about. But thankfully, that's not the end of Psalm 130, verse 4. But with you, there is forgiveness. You may be feared. That God offers us forgiveness when we could not forgive ourselves. So it says in verse 7, a few verses later, and we'll go deeper in this psalm in a few weeks. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For the Lord, there is steadfast love, and with him, and I love this, a little redemption? How much redemption? Plentiful redemption. Yes, our lives are marked full of sin from the day we're born to the day we're died. But with God, there is plentiful redemption. In verse number 8, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. 
Yes, our lives are full of immorality, but God will redeem. God will forgive. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done. So when we believe in Christ, all of our sinfulness got placed on Christ. So when Christ dies, God judges sin. God is so holy, God never overlooks sin. Forgiveness is not, God goes, oh, I like them, they're okay. Forgiveness is, God goes, in his mercy to us, he takes our sin, puts it on the Christ, and all the anger and wrath we were just reading about here in Psalm 90 that should have come to us gets poured out on Christ in our behalf. And Christ feels the anger I should feel and you should feel. Christ experiences the wrath that you should experience and I should experience. And when he cries out, it is finished, he has satisfied the anger and wrath of God. So when God looks upon us, he no longer has to pour out anger and wrath because he's already poured out that anger and wrath we were just reading about. And he's done it in Christ. But not just taking away our sin. And we've seen it over and over. When Christ died, he gave us his righteousness. So now we can approach God and talk to God and not have to fear his anger and his wrath. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us eternal life. Friends, the reality of our frailty and our sin should not make us hopeless. It should not lead us to trying harder to white-knuckle determination. When we realize how frail and weak and simple we are, it should lead us to greater dependence upon God, who can solve these problems by giving us eternal life and by forgiving us of our sins. But that raises two big questions in our mind. First of all, how do we know that God can really do this? How do we know that God really can tackle the problem of my mortality? How do we really know that God can tackle the problem of our immorality? And that's one thing I love about the Psalms here, is doubting hearts find incredible hope and confidence in the Psalms. Because the Psalms hold up for us over and over what we call the attributes of God, His characteristics, His nature. And just in this short psalm, Moses holds up for us so many aspects of God's character. It should be an anchor for us to know that God really can forgive us of our sins, that God really can bring us to eternal life, that God really can give us eternal life with him. I want you to see six aspects of God's character here in Psalm 9 that should help us know that he can and he will take care of the problem of our mortality and our immorality. In addition to seeing the justice of God, we already saw there's six other parts of God's character I want you to see here. Number one, God is faithful. God is faithful. By that means God will do whatever he said he would do. When he promises to take care of his people, he is faithful. God doesn't forget his promises. God doesn't wake up in bad moods and not want to carry through on stuff. God will do what God always said he will do. Look back at verse 1. This is incredible. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Friends, if we're struggling and doubting, can God really take care of my problems and my mortality and immorality? Look at what he's done for his people all throughout time. Throughout all generations, he has been a place of a dwelling place, a place of safety, a place of refuge, a home for them. The place where people can run, knowing they'll be forgiven, knowing they'll be accepted, know that they've become his children. He is faithful. He will do what he promised. Not just that he's faithful. Number two, I want you to see that God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. We call this omnipotence, omni-all, potence, powers, omnipotence. God can do anything God wants to do. There's nothing too hard for our God. Look at verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you have formed the earth and the world. Friends, he takes us back to creation. That God is so powerful. He speaks and mountains rise. He speaks and light comes into existence. He speaks and everything happens. His voice is that powerful. And the faithful God who speaks, whatever he speaks will happen, no question. If his voice can make the mountains grow, his voice can forgive us of our sins. His voice can see us through the trials of life and redeem them. His voice can then lead us to eternal life. Whatever God proclaims, he can do. He is all powerful. 
He's faithful. He's all-powerful. Number three, he's eternal. He's eternal, meaning he has no beginning. He has no end. He always exists. There's no beginning and no end to God. Look at verse 2 here. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you have formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, friends, that's a great phrase to meditate on. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. If you want your mind to hurt a little bit, think on this. God has no beginning. God existed before there was time. Time is a creation of God. That means there was a time when there was no time, if you will. God existed before there was even a succession of moments. There was a time, because I don't have another word for it, when there was no succession of moments, but God just was. He has always existed, and he invented time as his good creation for us to experience life as a succession of moments. Therefore, he is outside of time. And look at how it's described in verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday. Friends, I barely remember what I ate for breakfast and lunch yesterday. And to God, a thousand years are but as yesterday. It's just like a blink to him. He sees everything clearly because he's not bound by time. He is outside of time. He knows what happened 10,000 years ago. He knows what's going to happen a million years from now. He sees it all equally vividly because he's not bound to a succession of moments. He is outside of time. This means when we come to this big problem of our mortality, the one who can solve it is not mortal. He is outside of time. He is eternal. So God is faithful. God is all-powerful. God is eternal. Number four, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Sovereign means he is a ruler. He has the right and the ability to rule and govern all things. We just saw in verse 2 that he made it all. Therefore, he can rule over all of it. Verse 4. For a thousand years... Sorry, verse 3. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. Do you notice what Moses is doing here? He's not just reminding us of our mortality, which he is doing. He ties us to creation. God spoke the world into being, and now God speaks when life is over. God is sovereign over all things. Nothing, not even death, happens outside his control. There's never, never once a moment in heaven, God is in heaven going, oops, I didn't see that coming, or oops, that shouldn't have happened. God is sovereign, ruling and reigning over all things. So you have a God who is faithful, who's powerful, who's eternal, who's sovereign, but number five, he's merciful. Merciful means he does not treat us as our sins deserve. He is willing to forgive us of our sins. Go down to verse 13 in Psalm 90 here. Moses cries out, Return, O Lord. How long? Return just means to come back with a, with a heart to forgive and bless. And he says, Have pity, have mercy on your servants. It's incredible that we can even cry out to the all-powerful, sovereign God and even ask that. We can ask that because that's his character. He is willing to forgive as we cry out to him for forgiveness in Christ. He's faithful. He's powerful. He's eternal. He's sovereign. He's merciful. And the last thing I want to say, he's glorious. He's glorious. Look at verse 16. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Some translations say your majesty to your children, your splendor to your children. He is glorious. When we struggle to figure out how to describe God, this is the word we run to. Because it means he's brilliant. He's bright. He's beyond comprehension. He's stunning. He's amazing. He is far beyond anything we can ever imagine. He is glorious. Do you see the contrast that Moses is painting for us here in the psalm? We are so sinful and so wretched and so full of immorality. And God is holy and perfect in all that he does. We are mortals and we are so limited and our lives are so finite and we are so weak to do anything about it. And yet God is eternal, who exists outside of time, who's bigger than it all, who is sovereign over it all, who speaks and things happen. 
we're so frail. God is so strong. We are so sinful. He is so holy. And what he's driving us to is that place of realizing that we shouldn't try to fix these problems on our own. He said we need to run to God. Run to the one who can forgive us of our immorality. Run to the one who can give us eternal life because of what Christ has done for us. And not just run to him one time to get in the kingdom, so to speak. We run to him day after day after day in faith, just like we sung about at the beginning. By faith, we run to him every day. He's calling to us to stop relying on ourselves, to stop trying with white-knuckled determination just to figure out this Christian life. He's, he's calling us to depend on him every day. So, friends, how do we depend on him? If he's inviting us to come to the end of ourselves, to realize we can't fix our problems, but he can, how do we run to him? How do we depend on him? Well, that's the beauty of this psalm. The last about six verses here is a prayer. We do what Moses did here. When we realize that we can't fix ourselves, we run to him in prayer. We respond to his word in prayer, and we ask him to do what we cannot do. Just see real briefly this, this prayer that ends this psalm here. And I encourage you this week, husbands and wives, sit down together and pray this together as a couple. Pray this with your kids. Get together as friends and pray this. What a great prayer. When we realize that we are full of sin and our lives are so frail, what does Moses do? He doesn't despair. He runs to God in prayer and dependence upon him. Look at what he asked for. There's six things that Moses asked for in this prayer here. Number one, he asked for wisdom. He asked for wisdom. What a great place to start when you realize these truths. Look at verse 12. This is the beginning of his prayer. So teach us, so because of all this stuff, because we're mortals, because we're full of immorality, therefore, God, now teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. What a great place to start, friends. When we realize that we can't fix these problems wrong and we independence run to God, what a great place to start. God, give me wisdom. Remind me my life is short. Show me now how you want me to order my life because of it. He cries out for wisdom and dependence on God, but that's not all. He cries out for mercy. He cries out for mercy, for forgiveness. We just looked at verse 13 here. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. What a great thing to do to run to the Lord and say, Lord, you see my sins that I don't even see. You see my hidden faults. God, have mercy on me. So Moses asked for wisdom. He asked, number two, for mercy. Number three, he asked for contentment in God. He asked for contentment in God. Look at verse number 14 here. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Friends, what a great prayer to pray. We live in a world that's bombarding us that we need all these things to be happy. We need more of this and more of that. The newest of this, we need this relationship. We need that to be happy. And Moses goes, you know, this life is pretty frail and pretty fleeting. What I need, God, is you satisfy me in you this morning. Give me your love and I will rejoice. So he asks for wisdom. He asks for mercy. He asks for contentment in God alone. Number four, he asks for joy. He asks for joy. Look at verse 15. Make us glad. For as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil, make us glad. He's saying, Lord, we've had a hard, trying life, and for all the trials we've had, I pray going forward, I'll have just as much joy in you. What a great prayer to pray for ourselves and our kids and our friends. God, give us joy in you today. Moses, in desperation, knowing he can't fix himself, runs to God in dependence and asks for wisdom, asks for mercy, asks for contentment, asks for joy. Number five is incredible. This is an incredible prayer. He asked for God to reveal himself. Let's think about how stunning this is. The God who has spoken the world into being, the God who is eternal outside of time, we can approach him and say, God, would you show me more of you? Look at Moses' prayer here in verse 16. Let your work be shown to your servants, to your children, 
and your glorious power to their children. He's asking for God to show himself strong about us. He was asking God for, to reveal himself. Friends, what an incredible thing for us to pray for ourselves and our kids and our friends and our neighbors and say, God, show yourself to these people. Show yourself to these friends. Show yourself to these family members. Reveal yourself. I pray your word would come alive and they would see you for you. And the last thing Moses prays, number six, he prays for God's favor. Prays for God's favor. Look at verse 17. But the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Because when we realize that we're broken, that we're mortals with short, limited, painful lives, we realize that we're full of sin, what do we do? We stop striving in our own strength to make sense of it all. We saw that last week. We stop trying to fix ourselves. Instead, we run in dependence on the Lord, and we ask God for wisdom. We ask God for mercy. We ask God for contentment. We ask God for joy. We ask God for God to show himself to us. We ask God for his favor, friends. And so the question for us is, will we? Will we take time to think about those things we don't want to think about, our mortality? Will we take time to think about those things we don't want to think about, namely our immorality? And when we think about those things, is it going to lead us in God's grace to a place of greater dependence upon him? Are we going to strive in our own strength to fix these things and understand these things? Are we going to run to him? Are we going to open his word to see his character? Are we going to respond to him in prayer? And are we going to ask him to give us what we need, to give us wisdom? to give us mercy, to give us contentment, to give us joy, to give us understanding, and to give us favor. Friends, the reality that we cannot ignore of our frailty and our sin should lead us to a greater dependence upon him. Would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the parts of your word that bring us much joy. Lord, we're thankful for the parts of your word that bring us much conviction. Thankful for your word that reminds us of hard realities and truths of life. Because, Lord, you're bigger than all of this. Lord, I pray today in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, Lord, that you would give us faith. Lord, just like we sang about at the very beginning of the service, Lord, we need faith to believe in you. We need faith to understand our mortality, to understand our sinfulness. Lord, we need faith to believe in who Christ is and what Christ has done for us to rescue us from these things. We need faith to believe that you do forgive us, faith to believe you are giving us and have given us eternal life and will give us eternal life. Lord, we need faith to... Lord, hate our sin. We need faith to run hard after you this day, to long for your word and to long for your presence. We can't make any of this, Lord. We need you to give us the gift of faith, to believe and to run after these things. We're so thankful for your grace that you pour out on us. Lord, when we come to the end of ourselves and realize that we don't have answers and we can't fix things, but you do, that's a good place for us to be. Lord, in my heart and the heart of these brothers and sisters, would you give us much grace this week? Or to be free from self-dependency, for living for ourselves, for living just for the world. Oh, Lord, to run to you. And Lord, whatever it is we come face to face with, whether it's news of destruction of hurricanes or trials that we're going through or trials others are going through, whatever it is that brings us face to face this week with our frailty and our own sinfulness, Lord, we know that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing to be reminded of. And I pray we won't run from meditating on those truths, Lord. We will run to you in faith, believing you're going to give us the grace we need. Lord, to believe, to trust, to even ask for things. Lord, I pray for myself and each one of these friends here today, Lord, that we'd be quick this week to run to you, asking you to give us wisdom. Lord, we need wisdom. Asking you to give us joy, Lord, in the midst of whatever we're going through. God, asking you to free us from the love of things and to love you and find our satisfaction in you. Lord, to be free to 
for walk with you, for you to find mercy and grace this week. So would you pour out your mercy and grace upon us, your people, this day, where that your glorious power, your splendor, your majesty might be on display and it will be forever changed because of it. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?